Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. All righty. Let me briefly pray for us and then we can dive in, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would take your word and you would imprint it deep in our hearts. Lord, we do not want just knowledge. We want to know you and be changed by you. I want to change in the innermost parts of my heart to grow more like Christ. Lord, all of this is only by your spirit and only by grace. So would you do what we cannot do, what I cannot do? Would you move in this time for your glory and for our joy in you? We pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen. Amen. So thank you, Jimmy, for the introduction. As you guys know, I'm a teacher here at BU in BME. Uh, any of you guys engineers? Anyone? <laughs> no. Big zero. Big zero. Okay. So you won't have me in class as the easy thing. But um, I love more interactive lectures. I don't know if any of you guys have those hour and 45 minute long classes. Yeah, they kind of like, right? So luckily this is only 30 minutes, but still, I love questions. Um, There'll be a few parts where I'll ask you guys questions. So I know you might be a little more reserved, but I welcome raising your hand. It's okay. Does that make sense? We good with that? Cool, okay. So I've titled this talk, Knowing God to Know Self. Enduring in your walk with God. Now that might feel a little unrelated, right? How does knowing God relate to knowing self? And how does that whole concept relate to enduring in your walk with God? Okay, before we move forward, I, I just want to, I hope I can bring these two things together during this talk. Before we do that, I just want to talk about this enduring in your walk. Oh, that's okay, you're good. <laughs> it's all right. I'll let you know when to. Um, I became a Christian in like early 2011, right? And that was actually in college. So I have a, a very special place in my heart for ministries like this. Like I, I just love that this is here. But in those 12 years of knowing the Lord, I've walked through some hard things. And in particular, in relationships. I struggled with 11 years of singleness. And not singleness as in dating people. It was 11 years of nothing. A lot of that has to do with my story and my struggle with sexuality, which I will share about in the future session. So you can just pin that for April. (laughs) A little little collect bait for later. (laughs) Right? But those 11 years of singleness that were hard, I struggled with growing up with my dad who was verbally abusive and emotionally abusive to my sister and my mother and a much lesser part of me. I've lost friends over the years. I've seen acquaintances die. I've seen friends walk away from God. I struggled hard in my own walk with God. Feelings of guilt and shame that just seemed to nag and follow me no matter how hard I prayed. 
I struggle with distance and apathy with God. I remember retreats being particularly hard. I don't know if, I know we're all reformed, so we probably don't do this as much, but like my retreats at my old church were a little more like, whew, Jesus, right? <laughs> so I'd see my friends just, just looking like they were really enjoying their time with the Lord, and I would struggle. Because I was like, I don't feel those things. I guess I'm just too messed up for God to bless me in that way. So I share all this, and with a group this large, some of you have been through far heavier, far heavier things than I have. My life, honestly, has been pretty good relative to a lot of people. Some of the most beautiful moments in life are in relationship, but some of the most hardest moments in life often are in relationship, whether with others or with God, or even how we view ourselves. So my my hope for you today and why I mentioned enduring in your walk with God is not so much, even this series on relationships, it's great, dating, sex, marriage, friendship, family, all very important things, but deeper than that. My hope for you is that you can come away from this feeling or that the Lord would teach you how to draw strength and grace from God. And that from that you'd be able to endure whatever challenges come and have joy amidst that, along with the good times and the blessings he gives. Okay? So that's my main goal in all of this, is that the Holy Spirit would teach you how to draw strength and grace from him, from God, from the Word, in the midst of all these things. All right. But let's get it. So here's the two points I want to I cover under this. First one, so kind of pairing with knowing God to know self, is avoiding the trap of inward kind of selfish introspection. And I'll define more of that in a hot second. And then secondly, how God empowers to endure as we walk with him. So let's dive right in to our passage. And I want to just do the first two verses here. So this is where it's the interactive. I'll read the first verse. Just verse three here. I want you guys to tell me some words that stand out. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Life. Life. Awesome. Knowledge. Power and knowledge. Okay. Granted. Granted. Let's pause on that one. Does granted sound like earned or gifted? Gifted, amen. Thank you. Right? Just want to, just love, I just want to slow down, right? And you guys know this, you're, you're reformed, you're RUF, you guys know it's grace, it's the gospel every time. But just to say it one more time everything in the Christian life starts and ends with grace from God. And Satan will always try to twist that, right? Remember in Galatians where Paul says, like, you who began by the spirit, but you now finish it up in the flesh? What was happening there? The enemy and the lies from the enemy was, was influencing the Galatians. And they're starting to think, okay, yes, I got saved by grace, but now I got I to gotta really live up to this. And if I fail, God's going to get real pissed. He's going to let me go. No, 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 that's the flesh. That's not grace. So it's all of grace. Okay, that was just a free tangent. Let's go back. Um, someone said... All, right? 
whose divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What, what's included in life, right? It's everything in life. That's relationship with people. That's relationship with yourself, how you know yourself. That's understanding work. That's understanding rest. Understanding entertainment. Understanding sex. Enjoying all of those things. That's all. All things we need pertain to life, all of life, and godliness. God has granted those things to us. So, okay, we get this God's power granted, everything we need for life. Gotta love how it's past tense. That's awesome, right? But how? How is that? And that's where we see the second part of this verse. Through the knowledge of him. And I need to stress this. This is not just intellectual assent. One more time for our reformed brains. This is not just knowing facts about God. In the Greek, you hear this word being epignosis, right? So if you like Greek, if you're a loser like me, right? Uh, Gnosis, you hear that kind of like uh, agnostic, no knowledge, without knowledge, right? So gnosis is knowledge. Epi, like epicenter, right? This is the center of knowledge. It's true knowledge in some translations. So this is really, it says knowledge of him. This is really knowing Christ. So God grants all that we need, everything in, and I love it pertain, everything around life and about life, and everything we need for godliness is through the knowledge of Christ, through knowing Jesus. That includes, with all things that pertain to life, that includes knowing yourself. Now, I need to pause. This is so countercultural, is it not? Let's just take a quick, how many of y'all taken Myers-Briggs test? Anybody? Hey, Enneagram, right? Okay, a few, right? Okay. This is a, like, multi-million dollar industry, right? People go to counseling, and they do all these things, and they want to know who they really are. I don't know if you've watched a Disney movie in the last forever, right? What's the theme of it? Find out who you truly are and then live it out, right? <laughs> if you're, you know, getting reformed, we know depravity, that should scare us to think of that. But let me, but why, why is this so countercultural, right? Um, our, our world puts our identity, as, at Russia Street right now, digging deeper within. You've got to figure yourself out, right? Now, there is a place for godly, and I would say God-centered introspection. Right? We see this in 2 Corinthians towards the end of that book. Right? It talks about like, test yourselves, know yourself. Right? There's a place to kind of pause and reflect. But I just want to gently push on this. because I think this is a particularly hard temptation for you guys. Y'all are surrounded all the time, constantly bombarded by messages to discover yourself, to find out who you truly are. And this is this exhausting self-identity creation. And I think it's a huge temptation. This gets into that stuff of identity as a whole, kind of beyond the scope of this message. But it's this temptation to look inward for meaning, look inward for purpose. Okay. This is such the opposite of the Bible. 
over and over we see in, in Scripture. It's like, look at Christ. Look at this man who would see all that you do. All the things you say or think, everything that is evil within you. He sees that. He says, I want that man. I want that woman. She is mine and I will die for them. Look at Christ. I love this quote by Spurgeon. He's reflecting on the very classic passage. um, Hebrews 12, 2. I'm going to go a little one more forward, sorry. Okay, I didn't realize that's how I'll, I'll just read it for you. This is probably way too tiny. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. Satan insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You don't repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of being a true Christian, of being a true child. You have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All of these are thoughts about self, and we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. Can I say that one more time? We will never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But as the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self, he tells us that we are nothing, but Christ is all in all. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It's Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your faith in Christ that saves you. It is only Christ his blood and his merits. Therefore, look not so much at your hand with which you are grasping Christ, but as to Christ. Look not to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. Amen? Now, let me just walk through. I'm going to list some ways of looking inward. And this is really just an anatomy of all of my sin that I'm just sharing with you. So these are things I have seen in my own heart, like 95% of them, okay? So this is, this is sort of what the looking inward, the negative light that he's kind of pushing against. I just want to give some examples of this, right? So looking inward, it can take the form of narrating your life and your interactions, Constantly wondering if you measure up or did enough. Did that person like me? Did I fit in in that situation? Did I, did I pray enough today? Ooh, God must be mad at me because I didn't spend time with him. That's why I did so poorly on that test. Do you hear the inwardness of that? Right. Looking inward always starts self-referentially, right? So we can look at people through the lens of how they impact us. So are they benefiting us or are they a threat to us? It's always self-referential. Looking inward can take the form of discovering who we are, trying to discover who you are, as we talked about earlier, right? Evaluating everything via your emotions, right? Oh, that, 
that video made me feel good. It's a good, it must be true. Or like, ooh, I don't like how that felt. Bad vibes. Can't be true, right? Our likes and our dislikes, our feelings in the moment, we, we define who we are by our emotions. That's what looking inward, one way looking at. Or even, how about this one, even suppressing your emotions to achieve some other end. That can still be very inward, right? Where you kind of bottle your emotions away, suppress them, try to get, get people to like you in a certain way or to achieve some sort of end or purpose. Looking inward evaluates the truth of the Bible verse by your life experiences or feelings, not by trusting Christ. And can I just give an example from my own life? So part of my story with struggling, as I mentioned earlier, involved just struggling with habitual sin. Right? So keep doing the same thing. Keep saying, no, I don't want to do the same thing, and keep doing it. Right? Feeling very much that Romans 7 tug. Amen? Right? And it felt, I just felt so stuck. Again, no matter how much scripture I memorized or prayed, just kept giving in. So I read a verse like in Titus 2, which is not on here, so don't worry about it. But in Titus 2, there's a verse where it talks about how Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify him for himself a people who are zealous for good works. So I'd read that and be like, oh. Zealous for good works? Yikes. That ain't me. I seem pretty zealous for sin. No, I mean that like seriously and frustratingly, right? Like, I, look what I just did or thought or looked at or whatever. Look at the way I was just angry at that person or impatient or self-centered. I seem pretty good at sinning, pretty bad at following Jesus. That would be the thing in my head. So I'd read that verse and just think, ugh. Do you see how inward that is? Was I, was I listening to God in that or was I listening to self and Satan, right? That was all the enemy, just lie after lie after lie, distorting things. It was a lot of self, not much grace in that. So looking inward, again, just to summarize, it's a lot of just, it's all about you. It's Satan loves to do this. It makes us look inward for our meaning, for our hope. I don't know if you guys have struggled with this, but I certainly have. So one of the things I just want to present, just as Bertrand said here, it's like, why look inward? And again, thank God you guys are reformed, you have good theology, so you should probably know this. We know from scripture, we are depraved. There's nothing good in me. Like at the end of the day, apart from Christ, I have just about this much goodness in me. Okay, big zero. So why look inward when I can look to Christ? Why look inward when I can look to his kindness, his mercy, his zeal for me, and his promises? So do you want more joy in your life? Look to Jesus. Do you want to grow in loving people? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know yourself? Know God through Christ and through the gospel. You speak to Jesus, plead to Jesus, do anything, but just do not, do not pause just looking inward and get discouraged. Because of course, there'll be moments you are unloving 
impatient, selfish, self-centered, angry, lustful, envious. Pick your poison. But take that to God, confess it, and receive grace. The other part of confession we often forget, right? And you can look at Christ smiling in love, saying, I am for you. So we look to Jesus, and we know ourselves not by looking inward, but by looking God first, day by day. Okay, so that's the abstract big picture. But let's get a little granular. How? Like, okay, Joshua, I get that part, but how do I do that day to day? So this gets to my second point. How does God empower us? Yeah, sorry, go move forward. Oh, just kidding, just kidding, sorry. I lied, you're good. You were, you're totally right. You are, sorry, thank you, yes. How does God empower us to, as we endure, or uh, to endure as we walk with him? Right, so if we go back to verse three to four, thank you. So we talked about this. I actually have my, ta-da. Okay, so we covered this part, right? It's the professor in me, I'm sorry. <laughs> I gotta have my my power or laser pointer. Um, so, it's through the knowledge of Him that we are granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. But look at this fourth verse. So it's Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. I gotta say, there's actually a lot of richness in this, but we don't got time for it. So I'm just gonna woo-hoo, right. So by which that's referring to His glory and excellence. So through Christ's own glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. I just love that. Right? Not just promises, but his precious and very great. Like you think of your sin, you think of your worst sin or the thing that seems to have the most control on you. It's like, uh, uh, uh. There's a very great promise that's greater than that sin. Okay? So that through them, i.e. through those promises, you may become partakers of divine nature so that you have that God life within you, living by the Spirit, living with joy, peace, love, kindness, right? Having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Right? So this is Peter telling us, okay, here's how you grow. Here's how you grow in becoming partaker of the divine nature. Here's how you become more like Christ. It's through his precious and very great promises. Laying hold of those promises. And this is how God enacts the miracle of making you one with Christ and more like him. And you don't just take Peter's word. You also have... uh, the verse we read in John, right? I think that was slide 46, where it talked about, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth, or you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Do you hear that? Abiding, abiding in the word. So let me just ask you, and you don't have to answer this one, but how many promises of the Lord do you know? This is not to guilt trip you. You know I'm not here for that. I am here for grace. I want you guys to feel the grace of God. But just, just to ask yourself, right, when, when Jimmy 
or Serena or, or um, Nathan asks you, hey, how, how's your quiet times? Have you been reading the Bible? It's not that they're trying to test you, make you check off a Christianese box, right? <laughs> right, it's, it's because they're, they're getting to this. Are you spending time with the Lord, letting him work in your heart by his promises? It's not so much striving, trying to get better. It's just receiving these promises and asking God to move. And notice that it's promises, not commands. Commands are important, right? But it's not commands. It's the promises of Christ. These great, very great and precious promises. So let me just give an example of how this works. Remember I shared the struggle with the Titus verse, right? I'm like, oh, that's not me. Okay, so flash forward however many months. I read Mark 7, right? There's that passage where Jesus um, heals the, the deaf and the mute man. He makes some mud. There's some pathata, says something, bam, healed. Awesome, super cool, right? Does that. I love how the crowds respond. I think this is verse 27 or 37. It says, um, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, who is this man? He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Did you guys catch that? He does all things well. That means every single promise of God towards you, Christ does all things well. He's going to bring that fulfillment. Right? Jesus says there's promises for his presence. God does all things well. Christ does all things well. He will be with you in that. So how this promise, how God used that, he took that verse, wrapped it around my heart. So then I go back sometime later and I'm reading that Titus verse now. And when I read, Christ, Jesus is purifying for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Instead of reading that and being so discouraged, being like, ugh, I guess Christianity doesn't work for me. I guess I'm just too screwed up. Instead of doing that, I read that. And I can say, God, God, you said it. You said it, God. And you do all things well. So make me zealous for you. Make me zealous for the gospel. Make me zealous to love you more than my sin. Only you can change my heart. And I'm trusting that you will do it. Please help me. And God was faithful and answered that prayer. It took some time. It took some time. But God was faithful to answer that prayer. This is what I mean by laying hold of the promises. Do you guys hear this? Does this make sense? You wield them through prayer like swords. You learn to turn talk back to your heart. Have you guys talked about this before? Preaching to yourself? Because you ever have that your little voice in your head that's just like, yeah. right? Well, my favorite's when it reminds you of a like, really cringy thing you did from like 10 years ago. And you're like, Ugh, right? Just, right? Yeah, amen. I see some naughty heads, right? But how about when that starts bringing up really painful things, right? That person that really hurts you. Oh, they really hurt you. You just wish God would just, mm, right? <laughs> 
I didn't know I was being funny, but okay. <laughs> right? We're bringing up past sins. It's like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh, I can't believe I did that, right? You learn to talk back to this. I love this in Psalm 42, where uh, David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you hear what he did there? He's like, hey, soul, you are depressed as heck. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Hope in God. That's not denying his feelings. We're going to talk a little bit later about lament. Lament is great. It's a place to express your emotions. The Psalms are for, amen. But there's a place where instead of listening to the voice in your heart and in your mind that's, that's tearing you down, you listen to the greater voice of Christ. And you learn to take those promises and you wield them. You say, okay, that thought, mm-mm, not today. Not today, Satan. Like, I've got a promise from God that's greater than this. Okay. Do you see, do you feel the power of this? There's a practical component to this. So just to make this even one more layer practical, when you read scripture, right? I, I learned this, um, oh, what's his name? From, it's not Whitfield, um, George Mueller. Okay, he's a British orphanage guy, 1800s. Love the Lord, prayed in some crazy amount of money with never asking for a dollar. Super, really interesting guy, great man of God. But he talked about this. Instead of just intellectually reading the Bible, right? And of course, you want to read things in context, interpret it, right? We're all for that here. Amen. But don't just stop at that intellectual study. You can take these things and you can pray them back to God. He gives this fourfold way of doing that, right? A lot of my own walk with God has been like wrestling in the word. So this is really helpful for me to have like, oh, when I, when I read the Bible and it says, be this way, feel this way, do this thing. And you're like, ah, I'm not, I can't. It's like, great, perfect time to start praying in that moment of discouragement, in that moment of your heart feeling, ugh. Here's just four prayers you can do. You can say, God, you can ask God for more of the thing in that verse. More patience, more faith, more trust, less selfishness, whatever. You can confess to God and receive grace for your failures in those things. You can thank or praise him for his attributes in that thing or for the ways he has been enacting that thing in you. Or you can pray for your friend, your brother, that person you talked to 10 minutes ago, and you can pray that thing for them. Right? So ask God for more of, confess to receive grace, thank and praise him, intercede. You'd be surprised how God can move through that fourfold pattern. Okay. Now, all these things, it will take time. Right? I'm sharing this, maybe you start this week, you do three or four days, you're like, oh, this is not working. But guys, again, letting the word define us, Hebrews 6, it is those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Give it time. Wait on the Lord. He will answer. He will be faithful, right? Jesus does all things well. He will take those promises and move them in your life. This is how God empowers you. Last week, when Nathan kicked off this series, he talked about the generative love of God and how it empowers you to love others. This is a huge way how. Feasting on these promises. 
praying them back to God, right? Bible, God speaking to you, the word, you speaking back by prayer. Just that cycle over and over. You would be surprised that those promises looked through the eyes of grace-based faith will help each of you endure and thrive. Let me see. I'm only doing on time here. Sorry, I talk too much. Well, I should wrap up. I think I'm over time. So I have an example, a crazy example that I'm not going to share that was of Corey Ten Boom. I'm just going to quickly summarize it. She survived the Holocaust. She was in an internment camp. She was part of a Christian family that was rescuing and saving Jews. They eventually caught her, her, her sister, her father. Father dies. Sister gets incinerated before her own eyes. And then uh, I think a few, t- few days before she was supposed to be killed, the camp is uh, delivered by allied forces. Okay. So she goes on. She loves the Lord. She's preaching about grace. This is like five years later. Um, she's a German... Um, church, long story short, she sees a guard that used to work at the camp. The very same guard that would scorn and mock these naked women passing him. Of course, he doesn't recognize her. She recognizes him. Can you just talk about the trauma of that moment? It gets worse. She finishes, she preaches the whole thing on forgiveness. Talk about God's timing. That's what she was preaching on talking about. He comes up basically says, hey, I love what you said. I want you to know I was actually one of those terrible uh, workers at those camps. I don't know if you've heard of Bob Black Camp, but I used to work at that one. But I've become a Christian since then, and I know you said God forgives me, but I want to hear it from you. Will you forgive me? Now, can you imagine it's the raw terror? And she writes about this in her book. Just, uh. But in her mind, all those promises of God, come to mind. And she literally says, Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand to this man and shake his hand. I can do that much. You must supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand to the one that was stretched up to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That was a promise of God working in her through prayer to do something that is literally impossible. To forgive the Nazi guard who delighted and the death of her family. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, the promises of God. Okay. Only God can do this, and she drew strength from God through those promises. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff that I prepped. I just want to wrap up with this. Let's get at this. Here are some common pitfalls that I think we fall into, right? Um, That can keep us from sort of abiding in God slash laying hold of those promises, okay? And so I feel a little incoherent, but I just want to slam through them so you hear them and you can think about them and you can pray about them later if they speak to you. So first one, Tyranny of the Urgent. This comes from a book in the 60s. I learned about this when I was in college when I was getting saved and I loved it. Basically, it's the principle that urgent things seem to have a tyrannical force over you that push out the important things. 
There's always going to be something more urgent, and it's only going to get worse as you get older. It is. Right? You think when you start having kids, like, oh, my Lord. There's so many urgent things that come out that aren't that important, really, on the scale of life, death, and eternity. But they feel important in the moment. Right? So being aware of this. I'll give you a real... Uh, in watching my friends from college who were Christian and kind of maybe wandered away or really struggled in their walk now, uh, a lot of it is things like PhD, doctors, bankers, right? People that are like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice a little bit. Okay, residency is really hard, so I'm gonna skip church for a while, but I'll come back, I'll come back. And then, right, the urgent things just kick things out. And at some point you, you just, you've made a habit of not following Christ. So learning to rest is really important. Learning to say no to things. And learning to be faithful in the little things now. That will lead to faithfulness later. Okay? Um, priorlessness. And I think a big one of this is often lies we believe about God. Where we kind of hide things from him. Not be real with him. Like if you're angry with God, just tell him. Okay? I'll talk about that in a second. That's lament. But that's just important. Just do that. Don't, don't lie to yourself or to him. Or pride, right? Priorlessness is often a form of pride. Right? Basically you think you can handle your life on your own. Another one, this is a classic one, you guys probably know this, idolatry of work, family, having a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, or even church. Right. You do those things that can really throw you off. And trusting in your own faithfulness. Right. Thinking that, okay, I did all these things. I've been faithful enough. God will, I'll be fine. It's like, you need, you need fresh grace, man, every day. Okay. Things, sorry, next slide. Ways of abiding well with Jesus. And you do a lot of these things. But singing songs. Like, even that and lament are very tied for me. I have songs that are heavy in my personal worship time. Songs that are not, oh, Jesus loves me so much. Ah, it's songs that are like, it's through gritted teeth. Because I need that song. There's also beautiful songs that remind me of the truth of the gospel. And again, you guys sing them. We're probably going to sing some after this, so... You guys have this sort of big check, but that's really important. Learning how to lament well. Again, being honest with God. I don't know how to cry and grieve your own sin, things that were hard, hurt some people. Learning to kind of release vows back to God. Memorizing scripture and rebuking Satan with it. That's a good one. Praying with others, asking for help. And of course, filling your mind with Christ. So things like reading good books, listening to good sermons, that kind of thing. But again, all of this... I hope that you will be patient with yourself in this too. But that hopefully you feel empowered now to, when you read the Bible, there are promises for you right now in the midst of whatever you're feeling, in the midst of whatever you're struggling through, there is a promise from God that is greater than your heart. And God is faithful. He will do it. He began this good work into you. He will bring it into completion. Philippians 1. Amen. Okay. Let's pray really quickly and I'll call it a night. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. God, we need them. I need them. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. Lord, would we feel empowered by your grace that you are on our side. You know our heartaches. And that there are promises for us that can carry us through whatever struggles we're facing now or in a year or in 10 years from now. 
Lord, even now some of us might feel a temptation to doubt that. Feel like, oh, no, 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 you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Jesus knows. You know, God. And you are patient with us. Thank you for your patience. Help us to see your patience and your kindness and your goodness that we might rejoice in you. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice in you. I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen.